Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. interview was fascinating. It's with Jed and Todd Weider, the directors of the new film, God Knows Where I Am. As soon as it's uh, available, you need to get out there and see this film. It's a brilliant piece. It's a gorgeous uh, film. It's provocative. It's, it's engaging. It's compelling on so many levels. And it's, it's really about so many different things. It also stars Laurie Singer, who is the voice of Linda Bishop, the woman that this film sort of um, really, I suppose, focuses on. And so we have this uh, wonderful chat about mental health issues. We talk about others. We talk about reaching out. We talk about being, you know, this notion of anti-establishment. And I guess really what freedom really uh, actually means. And we talk about, um, you know, this idea of giving people a face and giving people a voice in, in a community. And it's about, about, I guess, just being able to listen to others. The film is God Knows Where I Am. It's about, too, you know, just these sort of, uh, as as uh, uh, we talk about the, the idea of being porous cracks in our social safety nets. And so some of the things that come up, you're going to, it's a brilliant film. you got to see it. Jed and Todd Wider. The directors of God Knows Where I Am, Laurie Singer, uh, davidpecklive.com for more podcasts. You can uh, find out more about uh, my public speaking and also about my book, Real Change is Incremental. Uh, you're going to enjoy this interview. It's fascinating for me, and I'm looking forward to part two, God Knows Where I Am. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are here once again at Hot Docs, uh, celebrating a world premiere of the film God Knows Where I Am. And uh, can I say blessed? to be sitting here with the filmmakers and maybe the star of the film. Uh, uh, please, why don't you guys introduce yourselves in just 32 and a half seconds about who you are and why you're here. Sure. So uh, I'm, I'm Jed Weider. Um, I directed this film together with uh, my brother Todd. Um, it's a film that we've been working on for, uh, for over four years. Um, this is, uh, we've produced uh, just about 17, 18 documentary films over the last 18 years. Uh, this is our uh, directorial debut. Uh, I'm Todd Weider. I'm Jed's brother. And uh, I agree with what Jed just said. <laughs> <laughs> what he said. <laughs> what he said. And then we also have Laurie Singer, 
who lends her uh, wonderful uh, voice and performance to the, to the uh, readings of the Linda Bishop diaries in the film. So I'm wondering if you guys can give us a little bit of a quick overview about what this film is in your own words about, I mean, for me, it was about a whole lot of things. I mean, of course, it's about mental health issues, but it goes so much deeper than that, it seems to me. We're talking about issues of humanity and freedom and recollection and, and friendship and family and, 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 and regret, I suppose, and the real practical side of things as well, the medical side to some of these issues. But for you guys, I mean, uh, you know, maybe what drew you to it and, and then, you know, what kind of what you were exploring as it was unfolding. Well, I think at this point in, in, in our sort of social uh, development as a society, we, we for some reason seem to uh, frequently walk over uh, people that are um, homeless and severely mentally ill that are all around us. These people we see every day, certainly in our city, in New York City where we live, uh, the city is filled with thousands and thousands of homeless people that are severely mentally ill. And this is a city of tremendous wealth, yet we, we often seem to ignore these people. And each one of those people is a human being that has integrity, that had a family, that had a mother and a father, that may have had children or a loved one, you know, or a wife or a husband, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, had experiences just like we had. They at one point ate dinner with their family and, you know, had a house probably at some point, had shelter, and certainly had a situation better than the situation that they have found themselves in. And it seems to me that if we assume that, you know, and, and we hope, I guess, that a society should be heading in the direction of uplifting humanity as opposed to pushing it downwards and celebrating humanism, you would think that we would try to um, lend out a hand to those people. And, you know, some would argue, well, anyone has the right to sleep on a park bench if they so choose. Perhaps they have the right to do so, but is that okay? Should a society say that's okay that a person sleeps on a park bench? And we would argue fairly strongly that it's not okay. Um, it seems to me there should be you know, ample and adequate facilities everywhere to house homeless people, to feed them, to clothe them, to give them medication and treatment, and to treat them with dignity, which is what they should be treated with as opposed to being ignored. So we chose to look at this film uh, and examine the case of one person, who Linda Bishop, who was loved, had a daughter, had a sister, had friends, had family, was, was laughing in life, uh, you know, liked to cook, was a visual person, was an art history major, saw the world visually, uh, embraced uh, you know, interpersonal relationships, was interested in astrology, had a myriad of interests, went to university. And yet, due to her mental illness, somehow managed to slip through the ever-porous cracks in the, in the social safety net and fall so deeply down that she wound up dying alone, starving to death in an abandoned farmhouse in New Hampshire, hiding under a blanket on the floor, uh, literally starving to death. So, and all she had to do before this was simply open the door of that building, walk across the street, and she would have been saved. So why is it that she wound up in that situation? What were the circumstances that led to that situation, both in, within her head and also within the society that we live in? And that, that, was the, that was the reason why we did this. We wanted to give a face, we wanted to give a voice to this person to bring back her dignity in an attempt to blow the issue out and make people feel empathy, feel something for this person. And then we would hope, leave the theater thinking, you know what, 
this person I'm, I'm walking by while I'm leaving the theater, this is, this is another Linda Bishop. We need to do something there's, about this. There's a sense in which this is about Linda, but it seems to me this is really kind of a comment on the community as a whole, right? I mean, this isn't, you know, the fact that she could look out the window and see the cars going by. I think one of the, the medical examiner or the police officer says he could watch from the window of that, the, 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 the living room could watch the TV in another house. I mean, yes. how, can you, how can you be so uh, alone? suffering through your own brokenness in such a profound way and yet be on the edge of, of assistance and help and so on, right? And well, the other ever porous yes. social safety net. And I think the, what, what's also interesting is that every person we spoke to in the film was deeply, from the policeman that first encountered a body to the passerby who saw the, the, cadet, the body in the house to the medical examiner that examined the body on the site, to the neighbors that lived around her, the, the, the building, to the people that owned the building, to her sister, to her daughter, to her friends from the past, every single one of those people w was engaged and would have been engaged in an act to help and save her. All the neighbors that, li that lived around that building came to us while we were filming the film and said, my God, if I had only known, mm. I would have called the police, I would have taken her in, I would have given her food, of course I would have helped. The policeman, his biggest regret is that he couldn't have gotten there to save her. He was, he was racked by that. He said, if only I could have been here, I would have saved her, I would have done something. Doesn't her sister even say that she was driving by? Yes, her sister went back and forth going to work 50 times or more, literally drove in front of the building without ever knowing she was there. You know, and the reasons that she, she got into that situation are multifold and complex, but they're pr very problematic. You know, our privacy laws in the United States are deeply problematic. Uh, the way that she was discharged was is deeply problematic with no social service thing set up whatsoever. Uh, the, the privacy laws are such that her sister and her daughter weren't unable to find out that she was even in the hospital. So if they called and said, I want to speak to my mother or my sister, the hospital would say, well, we can, cannot confirm or deny that she's here. So when, they, when she was discharged, no one knew that she was being discharged. So there was no plan for her to go. She was basically discharged back to homelessness, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but I, but I brought the point up before that all these other people, and I think like us, like, like most people in our society, individually we think, my God, this is not acceptable. I would never have allowed this to happen to this woman. If I had had a situation, I would try to give this person food, I would try to give them shelter, I would do something, I would call the police, I would do something to help. Yet, for some reason, we cannot seem to unify into some sort of cohesive force to fix these problems. Mm. Why is that? Mm. If you have individual <laughs> desire, person by person, that this is not an acceptable situation, I am not okay with this. You know, randomly interview 100 people, the vast majority will say, this is not acceptable, that homeless people wander around my city. Yet, we can't seem to cohesively come together and find a solution to this problem. So to what degree does her, in, 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 her independence play into that? I mean, that really comes out of the film, right? Even with that archival footage, some of the, the, the poetic recollections, the, the diary, uh, some of her statements, even her family said, oh, she was profoundly independent. Fre I don't know if the word fierce is used, but you get this sense, this is a strong uh, voice here saying this is the way things are, and I don't want people interfering. So get the hell out of my life, right? She was a uh, she was a fiercely independent woman. I mean, she had um, she had grown up. Um, she had gone to college. She had a daughter. She had a sister uh, who worked for the court system uh, in New Hampshire. She was very intelligent. She was very artistic. Um, but she also had um, she had deep convictions also, 
And in many ways, and her friend speaks to this, um, who was in the film, Kathy, speaks to the deep convictions that she had, that she was really very much anti-establishment oriented growing up. She didn't want to be told what to do. She was always, she always did her own thing. We have, you know, interesting eight millimeter footage of her as a young girl um, at a birthday party, sort of dancing her own way, you know, while all the other little girls at the party are dancing in a particular way. She's doing her own sort of unique artistic dance. Um, and she, she didn't want to be institutionalized. She didn't want to be told to take medication. Um, she didn't want to be told what to do. And, uh, you know, she, that, that, that's who she was. And um, I think for Linda, the, her, her own sort of sense of independence, eventually, um, as uh, she, she was arrested, as she found her way into the judicial system, um, uh, intersected um, in a manner which um, uh, was not, you know, unfortunately created great conflict for her. Mm. Um, and, uh, and the fact that she was forced uh, to be institutionalized for up to two years, the, f the, the, the fact that they were attempting to medicate her, for her created obviously great conflict because when she's finally released unconditionally by the hospital, um, she wanders down a path, she finds her way into, um, into a, a place called Hoboville where many homeless lived, um, and eventually, she finds her way to an abandoned historic farmhouse in New Hampshire. And for that, for, for th that farmhouse for her, uh, in many ways, represented freedom. And she uses that word throughout the journal. This is, you know, I, this is my fifth day of freedom. Yes. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm here. I'm not told what to do. Um, isn't there a line where she says, I'm, I'm only going to go out in the day or at a certain time because I don't want to be seen? Yes. Yes, and um, and she, you know, she, and 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 she did not want to be seen. Yeah. You know, she really she she lived in that farmhouse during the day, um, when others would not find her, for the most part. And she would go out at night, and she would take walks at night. She would collect apples at night from the local apple orchard uh, behind behind the house. She would collect water. Um, at one point, she even says that, you know, my, my positioning here in, inside the house is much like many people, you know, had to do during, you know, during World War II, hiding from the Nazis. And she considered herself, um, uh, you know, as, 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 as a result of that, I mean, she, she really considered herself um, uh, to be hiding from, from others. And, and she didn't want to be found. And she, she went to great lengths not to be found. Um, in fact, when the homeowners come to finally inspect the house after a period of time and they drive an hour and a half to come inspect the house, which is basically abandoned, uh, although they own it, and the house is for sale at that point, um, you, you know, she, she hides, you know, within the upper attic of the house, the, the rafters of the house, not wanting to be found. She cleaned up the house to make sure that, you know, no one would realize perhaps that, you know, that someone was there. Um, she even remarks that it was a close call. You know, someone came to, you know, someone came to the house. Um, and, um, you know, for, for, for Linda, you, you know, this, this, this conflict ultimately, you know, conflicts obviously with, with her mental state. Mm -hmm. And um, what, do you, what do you do to her with that deep irony that she really does want connection, it seems to me? I mean, I, I, mean, I was in tears a couple of times. I mean, yeah. congratulations, by the way, on Thank a gorgeous, you. beautiful, compelling film. 
Um, and that's a question I need to ask. Why make such a beautiful film about such a tragic story? And there's, some, there's something, you know what I mean? There's something really, though, uh, profound, I think, about that metaphorically. But there's also that paradox of hiding in the attic from people who could have kind of helped and saved her. Not could have, but could, probably would have. And that's kind of where she winds up, in, in, in a way. I think that she, um, you know, it's interesting because it, it, it raises a number of issues. It, it raises an issue of, you know, under what circumstances does a person have free will to make that decision that mm -hmm. they, in fact, mm -hmm. you know, want to be there. Um, you know, we, we, we would strongly argue that, you, you know, um, uh, you, 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 you really do not have free will if your mind is not free. And, you know, when even though Linda, you know, was fiercely independent, she, um, she was full of life. And she had a, you know, a, a full life prior to arriving at that farmhouse. She had family members who loved her. She had friends who loved her. She you know, was deeply passionate uh, about food. She was deeply passionate about, about nature. Oh, just passionate about life. About so life in general, literature. Poetry. Yes. You know, the, the poetry of yes. this woman's life. Yes. And, and the way everybody talks about her, there really wasn't any, other than her daughter, who clearly makes the distinction near the end of the film that there was my mom and there was this other person. Yes. Um, there's this profound sense of community, of yes. love, of friendship. Yes. Right? Well, these, this is the ravage. This shows the ravages of, of uh, severe mental illness mm. that is not treated, right? Mm. I mean, mm. she had some treatment, some medication, and following the sort of tradition, standard, very typical trajectory of a person that goes off the medication, she often people feel comfortable if they're medicated and then they say, well, now I'm better, I'm not gonna take my medication. Mm, In her, her yes, case, it was particularly yes. tragic because she was medicated, she was doing better, and her, her father got quite ill and she needed to go to Florida to take care of him, and she felt that, as many of these medications do, she would be too sleepy, and if he called out right. for her at night, she would be unable to answer him, so she decided strategically to go off the medication, which was a mis you know, tragic and mistake. And also in a real irony, too, right? Out of Yes, out of else. love and concern for her father, else, she went off the medication, and that, that one decision began this sort of domino effect that led to this path, sure. uh, that led her down that path. And, uh, you know, the film, the film shows, I think, the path that, that many people wind up going down, and the, the ravages sort of of what happens when you're severely mentally ill, when you have intermittent moments of coherence and yes. incoherence. Yes. You know, yes. psychiatrists that have seen the film have remarked that it's it's, a, it's sort of a m uh, amazingly insightful sh uh, study of mental illness yeah. of bi of bipolar. In her case, she had probably bipolar with uh, you know paranoid ideation and psychosis, and it's it's a very clear view of what happens. You're not completely psychotic all the time, mm -hmm. and you're certainly not coherent all the time. So she was intermittently psychotic and delusional, and intermittently coherent. And she was coherent enough to make an observation about a bluebird flying around outside the mm -hmm. window, how beautiful mm -hmm. it was, mm -hmm. and remark on it. But she was not coherent enough to open the door and go across the street and get help. And get help, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the paradox that runs throughout is just it's pr profound to me. And there's a, the other thing I might add is there is a, there is a, a, a warping of, of insight into one's own personal safety mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and well-being mm -hmm. that gets warped. Mm -hmm. You know, thinking that, and it, and you could see in the film that that warpage it gets much greater warped as the film progresses. That warping yes, sort of sure. happens, and it's more I, profound. I I want to talk about Steve and her longing there, because for me this film is about longing. It's about memory. It's obviously it's about mental health and so on. But it's just um, there's a spirit of inclusion versus exclusion, and depending on I suppose the emotional baggage you bring to the film, maybe you come and you say, "Wow, this is all about exclusion," because she 
extricated herself from this farmhouse, but really the farmhouse is freedom. So it's really quite the turn, turn the whole conversation on its head. But uh, Lori, can I ask you um, about the poetry of her diary, of the beauty of the language and the way you, uh, you, you know, you present it. I mean, I was, um, I don't know, can I say I was there with you in the farmhouse? Is thank that you. Fair? Yes, thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Um, I felt that um, Linda has had a tremendous sensitivity, and when you say she could have just walked outside, she could have just waved from the, from the window, mm -hmm. and all these people say, oh, I would have helped, I would have helped. This is from Linda's perspective, so don't, I'm, I don't want to offend anyone, but <laughs> she doesn't, to be helped is not to be locked up in her mind. That's that kind of, to take away that freedom, so she was caught in her mind again. I'm not saying this is, you know, the way uh, I think life should be, or, but but since since I really delved into her actual being the best that I could, as a human, with with my own experiences, I felt that she wanted peace. She wanted love. She wanted people to treat each other better. She went to 9/11. And she didn't have any particular Remarkable skill. Yeah, she had no, no particular skills that, that she could offer, and yet she was there trying to hand out water bottles, trying to hand out blankets, because that's what she had to offer. And um, I think she felt greatly misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And when people were unkind to her, she felt it more than maybe they, th they felt, oh, it's okay, we're just going to run here and do this, and it doesn't matter. It mattered to her. Mm -hmm. She's very sensitive. And, and perhaps... Um, the, her father, when she went to, to try and help her father, and she went off the, me the medication, and again, that was for her father that she went off the medication, that did begin her descent, because that was holding her somewhat yes. on into a reality check, so that she could balance her own perception and her own sensitivities against a real world that needs food, <laughs> that needs, needs you to work to make money, sure. That that has requires quite a bit of every person, um, and I think that uh, it's then that's the tragedy is, is the juxtaposition between her longings and her yearnings, and and her actual capabilities, and um, yeah. Well, and I think for me, isn't aren't, aren't we all kind of don't we all have a little bit of her in us? Yes, I, th I, I, I think. don't we all want freedom and and we all want kindness? Yeah. Yeah, and the risk of sounding corny. Yeah, but isn't it true? Isn't that real? I mean, even the the daughter's voice. You know, her. Yes. I couldn't help but think about the the passing on of that from tradition to tradition. Yes. To tradition, and to what degree are sometimes mental health issues even even passed on emotionally? Right. You know? it, yes. Mental, you know. So yeah, no, I, it, so and many questions. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Steve. I think he represented so much to her. Yes. I think it was yeah. just, it was, and she imbued this. Well, and the way you, de yeah. the way you deliver it, I'm getting a shiver right now. Thank and you. I use that phrase a lot mm -hmm. uh, in my podcast, but it's true. And it really, I mean, I broke my heart several times. Thank listening you. Listening to the film and, uh, and watching the film, but listening as well. Thank and you. And I, I said, it brought me into the farmhouse with her. Thank and you. Then, yeah. And I guys, felt her journey It looks so like much. you want to respond to, uh, to, yeah, to that, Todd, but, but I do want to ask that question sure. about that, the, the the, the technical aspects of the beautiful film with such a tragic story, but uh, yeah, Me? go, go, oh. yeah, anyone, yeah, oh, oh, this is great. Well, I, I felt that it, uh, this film and what they, what 
Jed and Todd Wider captured also so so amazingly was the beauty of her perceptions. Mm. The mm -hmm. idea of her reality they painted so so com with such Can compassion. I see with <laughs> he was an inspiration. There were, anyway, yeah. there, was clear, there were clear inspirations oh. for us as you know, filmmakers and film and, and, and you know big film buffs. Um, you know, he, Terrence Malick sort of certainly is was an inspiration. Uh, you know, particularly T Terrence Malick's very sort of beautiful way of attempting to uh, you know depict consciousness. Mm. You know, he yeah. has a beautiful way uh, yeah. visually. And also using using sound to depict the state of consciousness, yes. you know, which is an interesting human yes. phenomenon. Sure, sure. And uh, so he certainly was an influence. There were other influences, but he was definitely one of them. You know, what, what we set out really to do in, in making this film, because she was a very artistic individual. Um, she was an art history major, you know, and she appreciated art, she appreciated beauty, and she, you know, she was able to, um, she was able to verbalize um, you know her, her her interests, her thoughts, her observations in a very poetic manner. Um, you know, we we wanted to pay tribute to that element of her, um, and uh, you know, we 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 went about doing that the best way that we know how to do that as filmmakers, which is to show that visually. Um, so for us, we we paid and we attempted to pay, you know, acute attention to uh, to how we shot the film. And we shot the film with real film. We shot in 35 millimeter. Mm -hmm. We shot in 16 millimeter, super 16 mil millimeter for very specific reasons in very specific scenes. Um, we, we wanted the film to have a certain, uh, a certain uh, patina to it, a certain feel. Um, in many scenes to evoke uh, a sense of memory. Uh, because part of this film is, is really about memory. It's about a woman you know, in a house by herself writing a journal, which is her voice. It's her human voice. And Laurie did a brilliant job of bringing that human voice to, uh, to life. Um, but we wanted to, um, um, at the same time, we also wanted to pay tribute to her. Um, and we did that through the choice of film that we used, 16 and 35 and Super 16 the way that we shot it, the attention uh, to light throughout, throughout the film, um, which is light that she would have seen. We shot the film in the farmhouse. We shot it over a two-year period, over two winters, two falls, two springs. And um, you know the light changes, obviously, during that course of time. Um, and the fact that she sat there you know, all day long in, you know, in, during darkness, during, you know, during the course of the day, during you know when the sun went down at 4:30 in the afternoon, and she was left in you know complete darkness, complete silence. Um, but we also paid particular attention to sound because sound was an important feature of 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 this film as well. And for us, we 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 try to create, and we wanted to create you know really an experiential type of documentary. We wanted you to feel what it was like for Linda to be there in this house not only seeing exactly what it was that she saw, um, the books that she saw, you know, the, the soiled mattress that she saw, the, the wallpaper peeling off the wall, um, what she saw outside the window, life going on, yeah, yeah. and during the spring and during the fall, vibrant life. Well, the simplicity and the beauty of it all, too. Yes. You guys capture that so well. Yeah. On one level, it's, you, don't, you don't really notice it. But yes. On another level, you're nuts not to. Yes. I mean, yes. I think that's what you guys are kind of highlighting with the with the technique, and or at least for me anyway, what I took away from it was 
there's so much more going on than meets the eye, and we really need to, to sometimes just shut the hell up and pay a little more attention. Yes. I think. Yes, and we, we, you know, we, we, we paced the film in a certain way so that, um, you know, and this played into sort of this, this notion of, of creating an experiential documentary. We paced the film in a way that um, it, 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 con it, it contributed to the feel of the film. It contributed to you feeling um, what it was like to be there. So, you know, in one particular scene where Linda mentions that, you know, she was in the house in, in, in darkness, you know, we, we held on that scene for a period of time. So you actually felt that. I was just going to say, as we, or as, as I listened to Jed um, saying this, just in terms of filmmaking, also, which uh, with some of the best filmmakers that I've been, you know, fortunate to work with, like Robert Altman and Schlesinger and a few few people, um, amazing um, people. That this film, what also is interesting, is that Jed, as he talks about the amazing scenes that he that that is that are captured in from Linda's uh, what Linda saw. It's almost as if either one could stand on their own. Just the mm. images. If you mm. sat back mm. and just watched those images, with, with it would well, be one very powerful. I mean, I'm I'm not a documentary expert, but you don't see it in documentary. Right. It's stunning, and it's very meaningful. On and 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 the layer of of sheerly Linda with nothing. If you just listen to that story, that compelling story, and her humanity being expressed in a very true way. It's also very powerful on its own, and I think the combination of what they did is really astounding. And Jed's mentioning the pace; it really is is an experience. The film they made is an experience. So, so sadly, uh, because we've got maybe a publicist or two breathing down our neck here, um, we have to wrap this up in a second. But can we talk really quickly about this idea? And I, I want to come back to it here: this idea of, of inclusion and Steve. There's somebody who was supposedly an imaginary, had ima there was an imaginary relationship of some kind, a, a somebody that was married, she met at the diner that she worked at, but she, and the way you deliver it, Lori, is just remarkable. I should be with Steve watching the sunset. I need to be with my husband. Again, I'm getting the shivers. Mm. And I just go, if this woman had had that kind of uh, relational embrace, whatever that means, things would have been different. Um, yeah, I mean, perhaps. Again, you know, you have a situation where she was in a delusion, right? She was yes. in a delusional yeah. state in that house when she was longing for Steve. Uh, you know, Steve is essentially a complex um, delusion that she's having, uh, that she has a husband that is going to come and save her, when in fact Steve was a gentleman that she met briefly in, the, in a Chinese restaurant that she waited on with his wife, mm -hmm. and they knew each other in passing, and that was it. And there was no affair. There was no. There was nothing, there else. Was nothing else. There was yeah. nothing. It was and all fabricated. Longing, yes. The longing clearly. Yeah. Was well, I think I think it is human nature, and you, I think you were alluding to this earlier. It seems to me that it is human nature. Uh, certainly, uh, the healthier part of human nature is to seek uh, interactions with other human beings, to seek meaningful interaction with other humans, be it through love or friendship or. What ha what have you you know and, and and in fact when Linda was in that in that house her memories are of relationships that she had you know as a child uh, with her right. sister whatever right. right and she's longing for an imaginary relationship with a person that she's idolized in her head that but it's still she's longing for a relationship yet in yes. her ill state yes. she sought solace alone and isolated in a building right yeah. 
Yeah. That's the reality of what yeah. she was really doing. In her in her delusional state, she was interacting with people in her head. Mm. But in the Yeah, but I th and I think that's that's yeah. you know the that's hope, the hope so, right. right the hope of yeah. that yeah and as I said I think that in the in the healthy in the healthy human brain I think most healthy humans long for and seek out other uh, interactions with other human beings are plugged into the society of humans that we're in I think if you are severely mentally ill often people that are ill tend to isolate and that makes the the situation that they're in worse and it makes their mental illness worse you know. You know, in the in the books, as she's looking at them, she looks at the farmhouse and she sees Brian as a little as a young boy, and she reads Brian's paper, and she sees he got an F, and she said, "Well, I think it's you know, this is the, she really appreciates the paper. She thinks that basically she would go to bat, you could see, you know, against the teacher. You know, he did really well, and and um, and then out of everybody, as life is, I think there's so many signs. I believe also. Brian is the one that drives up that could have saved her. He was the one that went in the house, went up to the attic, and opened up the little latch and looked to see. I mean, it's just it's just that those those little misses in life that we have that are so compelling and touching. I, th I you know, I, I also think though that um, you know we, we can obviously sit here and we can you know we we we, we can uh, you know. Uh, guess whether or not you know if this had happened that you know perhaps the outcome could be this the outcome could be that sure, but sure. you know the larger societal issues you know when we look at her case and we look at what happened to her and how she fell through the cracks of a failing system um, and the fact that she didn't have a safety net in place are, are, are really profound you know and they resonate in many different countries many different societies around the world Many countries, societies deal with this issue in a different way. Some deal with it much better than others. Some fail completely. You know, in the United States, it's interesting because you look back to the time of JFK, you know, when his sister was institutionalized um, uh, uh, against her will, and she, she was lobotomized as well. And that had a profound impact on him, and one of the first acts he went about um, um, attempting to pass when he became president was... Um, a complete reform of the mental health system, at least in the United States, and unfortunately, it didn't get the funding, um, the full funding that you know that 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 he had asked for. And over the decades, um, how people were treated really changed. The landscape changed significantly. You know, his vision was a more a more community-based sense of health care um, for the severe, the, the the severely mentally ill. Um, and when we look at Linda's case in particular. You know, there were many elements. Had they, you know, been handled differently, if decisions had been made, if she hadn't been released unconditionally um, from the hospital. It's not any one thing. It's not any one thing. If the judge perhaps had been, you know, if the judge perhaps had been better, better versed, better prepared for handling a, a mental health patient, perhaps, you know, Linda would have been on the stand for you another, for another three months. You can't hear those words as being really harsh, right? Coming yes. Coming judge and someone yes. now looking back. Yes. In the, in yes. The I think it's, it, it's, a, it's a very complex set of, of issues. Yeah. It, it's, 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 it's very dynamic. Um, and there's not one right answer. There's not one wrong answer. But when you look at it, you know, in, in, in the aggregate, um, clearly we can do better as a yeah, society. You know, she should have had that safety net. Yeah. You know, her, her sister, the daughter, were not notified. You know, it sort of begs the question from, from a privacy perspective, is that right? You know, is it sh should that have been the case? Yeah. 
Uh, do we need to take another look at our privacy laws? Well, we're just so, and I, I, I just want to affirm what you guys have done with this film on so many levels, but we're just starting to have this conversation, really, the mental health conversation, right? It's been around for, as we know, centuries, but it's really only starting to bubble at the surface now. I think there's one other thing I wanted, wanted to add. Yeah, the, you had asked before why, why to pick such a tragic story with such beauty. And I think, at least for, for me, um, I think th it, is, it is poetry that, that reminds us of the nature of the human condition. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It is artistry. It is poetry. It is the things that we can aspire to and the greater things that we can do as human beings. And it's that pursuit of beauty and that exploration of beauty that remind us of what it is to be human. So in a way, by, by using poetry to, to tell her story, we hope to touch others. That's great. I hate to cut you guys off. I really do. And we barely, and we barely scratched the surface. But thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on a beautiful film. Thank you very um, much. Thank you. Uh, uh, Todd and uh, Jed Wider, Laurie Singer, God knows where I am. I just I had to double check. I've got a lot of interviews today. <laughs> Miss call the film. That's all <laughs> we need. World premiere, right? Yes, yeah. world yeah. premiere. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.